I've got something to say because I'm Dave Phil, but you may call me Professor David Kirkfield. We're listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio 88.7. You'll see on the campus of William Patterson. Trying to make the music biz better, and we're your free advice. Music biz 101 and more radio show and podcast. We've been listening to The World Is Ours by the Ally Mac Project. Big night tonight here on Music Biz 101 and more. I'm going to talk with a really low, quiet voice at times. Sometimes I'm going to talk with a real excited voice because it is radio, but we're here. And you should always visit our website, musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for a weekly newsletter, which gives you all the info you need to know about the biz. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, the Twitter, at musicbiz101wp. And, of course, every show gets recorded, uploaded as a podcast on Stitcher. SoundCloud and iTunes. We have two amazing producers here tonight. One is named Bianca Russo. One is named her parents named her that Bianca. They said let's name her Bianca, and they did that. That crying, screaming little ball of human that just came out of Mama. So good to have you, Bianca. And then we have another another producer. Her name is Jess Frank. You may call her the Jess Frank. Jess Frank. Her red hair is not natural, but that doesn't matter because. Everyone loves her anyway. So it's good to have you here, Jess and Bianca. Dead air. They have nothing to say. They're producers. That's why they're not on air talent like me. But we also do have a student co-host of the night. He needs a microphone in front of his face. He is a rock and roll guitarist. He is a lyricist. He is a nice young man who's co-hosted the show in the past. In year one, he did it when we had Harvey Leeds, who's an artist manager, on. And now we have Bobby Mahoney of Bobby Mahoney and the Seventh Son. Bobby Mahoney, boys and girls. Bobby Hi, Mahoney. Uh, hello. What's up? Nothing. What's uh, Bobby, tell us what... Booby, tell us what your major... <laughs> it sounded like Booby, didn't it? <laughs> Bobby, tell us what your major is here at William Patterson University. I'm a popular music uh, studies major here at William Patterson. He's trying to strangle me with a headphone cable right now. But uh, yeah, I'm a pop, me- pop major. Well, what is a pop major? What is pop music major here? It's essentially half business, half songwriting. And you have a lot of classes in like social media and like, you know, how to not get screwed in the music industry. But also you take like songwriting classes with Martin Briley and some other great, uh, you know, songwriters and, com- and um, composers. So it's a lot of fun. And, it's a good time. And, <clears throat> and talking about Martin Briley, he's been doing a whole interview series yes, he has. on campus this semester. He's interviewed some really pr- pretty cool songwriters and artists, musicians, Absolutely, producers. yeah. We've had uh, Rob Fusari, who's been on the show. Yeah, Rob was cool. I think he was probably my favorite, actually. We had uh, J- J.P. Marr, I can't pronounce his last name, from Cash Cash, was here last week. We yeah. had Claude Kelly, songwriter. Yeah, Claude Kelly was really good. Yeah, he's re- so we've had some really great people here. So if you're looking for a school to go to, if you're looking for a university, a college, and you want to study about music and the music business, I would suggest going to William Patterson, the university. Look us up. We're here. Yeah. We've been here. We're here to stay. We're here to stay. Woo! Speaking of here to stay, I believe our guest is on the other line. Is this true? The Jess Frank. She's hitting buttons. She's going to bring him up. His name is Alex Cadvin. Maybe his name is Alex Cadvan. Alex is going to tell us in a moment how to pronounce his name. Alex, are you on? Alex is the manager of Sleater Kinney. He's the manager of St. Vincent, as well as Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings, and many more. We should thank, by the way, Aaron Van Dyne, Professor Aaron Van Dyne, who's the business manager for those artists, as well as Kiss Three Doors Down. Aaron was the one who hooked us up. Aaron has also been a member of the faculty here, and he's been a guest on Music Biz 101 More a couple times. So we want to thank Aaron publicly for helping us get Alex on the air tonight. Alex is the senior partner at uh, Lever and Beam, and Lever and Beam is a management company based in, I believe, Brooklyn. 
and uh, he's one of the owners of the company. He uh, manages artists, and Lever and Beam also guide the careers of producers, arrangers, and writers. And earlier this year, they launched a publishing endeavor called Lever and Beam Music. Um, so uh, we're going to talk all about what he's a senior partner at this company. We're going to explain what a senior partner is. We're going to talk about the differences between a day-to-day -day manager and what he's doing as a senior partner. We're going to talk about 360 deals at length. We're going to talk about windowing because Coldplay has a new album that just came out, but it was not on Spotify. It's going to be. And it's going to be on Spotify yeah, be, yeah. in, in two days. Thank you, Bobby. You're right. You're and then welcome. we also have your tweets, and Bobby's going to read uh, a number of questions for him, which have come in by tweet. And you may tweet us at any point during the show, at MusicBiz101WP. Yeah. Bobby. Yeah. Buddy. So here we are waiting for Alice to get into the line. And... Uh, <laughs> where are you? Where are you going this weekend? Because you're you're in a band, Bobby Mahoney and the Seventh Son. Where are you guys yeah. going? We're going to a Providence, Rhode Island, and we're going to uh, Somerville, Massachusetts, which is right outside of Boston. Okay, great. And you just yeah. recently came back from a trip to Canada. Yeah, we were up there for uh, three or four shows. It was four shows, not three or four, and okay. it was it was a good time for sure. Oh, that's great. And uh, it appears that you may be on your way to Germany. Yeah, in April, yeah, hopefully. It's 99% confirmed. We're just waiting to tie up some loose ends. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah, I'm excited. All right, well, speaking of tying up loose ends, we have not mentioned that uh, the always awesome co-host, Dr. Esteban Marconi, is not with us tonight. He is on assignment. He broke his wrist a week oh, ago, uh, right before Thanksgiving, or right after Thanksgiving. He broke his wrist, and he had surgery today, in which they inserted pins and lots of pieces of metal and all that. Alex, are you on the air? Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear us? I can hear you. There you go. We can hear you. This is great. M many apologies uh, from us to you for these technical issues. We're not in the same studio we norm normally are in, so we're trying some things out. But thanks. It's great to have you on the air. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. The very first question is the pronunciation of your last name. I say either Cadvin or Cadvan. What do you say? Uh, the first Cadvan sign. It is Cadvan. Okay, wanted yep. to get down that down straight. So we always start. Not I don't really want to do that with like um, all all the very beginning stuff. But why don't you uh, kind of take us to uh, Lever and Beam and explain what Lever and Beam is and all the different uh, services that you provide as a as a company. And you're also a senior partner there. So also explain kind of what does senior partner mean in that case. Sure. Um, so Lever and Beam is an artist management company, and we handle the careers of several artists, um, and mostly, I mean, basically all musical acts. Uh, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, St. Vincent, Slater Kinney, um, the Budos Band, Antibalis, um, and uh, 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 newer uh, recent additions to the roster are... Uh, a band out of Nashville called Blank Range, a band out of Chicago called Knee High, and a band out of New York uh, called Charlie Bliss. <clears throat> um, Living Beam started in 2009 when uh, a friend of mine who's been in the business for quite some time, who um, had been a manager, had stepped away for a while from managing directly, wants to get back in, uh, and we started the company together. Prior to that, I had been on my own managing uh, a few artists, and uh, in January of 2009, we started the current beam. Uh, St. Vincent was part of that sort of announcement of, of the new company, and she was sort of our first joint client. And then we each brought in some clients that we worked on on our own prior to the, the company forming. Okay. And um, in, ter in terms of the services, so, you know, I mean, 
we are basically the managers for these bands and these artists and these, these um, groups. And, you know, in, in a sense, we are the, you know, the best way to put it is for like we're the CEOs of each of these operations, each of these bands uh, are companies in and of themselves. And sometimes they have multiple companies, depending on if they have one that just handles their touring business. They have one that handles all their sort of recording and royalties and, and other sort of passive income. Sometimes they'll even have a separate company for their merchandise. Uh, it, a lot of that is dictated often by their lawyers or by their business managers on how they want to set that up, and we consult with that as well. But we oversee sort of all the global planning, uh, the album campaigns, um, the touring around that, the promotion. Um, and then we look at, you know, setting up publishing deals, um, you know, different deals with different agents in different territories, uh, the recording deals, obviously, as well, um, when when those are either needed or are about to expire, and we have to find a new label or stay with the same label. It's sort of an all-encompassing thing. I mean, there's nothing we don't do, and there's sometimes it's hard to describe, especially to someone outside of the music business, because they usually know what an agent is, and they think, oh, you get, you get band gigs, and... No, we hire the agents, and they get the band gig. We hire the business managers. You know, we recommend the lawyers. We hire, the, you know, sort of the, we put the team together, and then we ultimately have the responsibility to make sure everything runs smoothly and successfully. How long did it take you to put together all these connections? Because obviously, most people, anybody can say, "Yeah, I manage a band," but they don't if they don't know anybody to do a lot of these things that you're talking about. Um, they're not going to be as, as effective as you are. So how long did it take you to put together all these connections to make it so that you could actually be a real manager making r real connections for your artists and, and helping to generate income for them and you? I mean, it, it takes time. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, in many cases, it's not so much the connections of the manager that are, are generating the, the income for the artist. I mean, sometimes artists already have established careers where they have a touring sort of plan. Um, in my case, I started very green. Um, I didn't go to school. I didn't get a music business degree. Uh, I was a musician, um, and I was used to dealing with groups of musicians and sort of coordinating things. Uh, but I came on quite green with one band, um, and actually my now business partner was already hired as their agent. So that was the first connection I made. Um, from there, it was their label, and then from there, it was their lawyer, and then sort of, you know, it, things sort of spiral, but uh, certainly the, the connections and the friendships I have in the business now, uh, you know, I, I, they've, um, you know, tenfold from what I started, I mean, you know, I started with nothing, so it's, it took some time, for sure. I mean, you know, suddenly, when you then have a second client, suddenly you, you know, th th there is some, some, uh, something to gain from the diversity of working with different people, you know, and they introduce you to other people. So at some point, though, you find people that you like to work with and who you trust and who you can go to, and, and they, they may they doesn't have to work with all of your clients, but, um, you know, you establish sort of a circle of, of people that you tend to work with. Do you actively go out and try and find new artists to manage? Do you is there a point where you think we can't go any further than this because we just aren't big enough or we won't be able to give the proper attention? How do you know when to keep going and what are you looking for when you're uh, trying to manage artists? It, it's 
it's not a constant, um, some, and especially if we're busy where we have, you know, a couple of clients who are in the middle of a campaign at the same time. But the way we structure our office, uh, that uh, my partner Bach and I, we, we are the managers for all the artists um, on the roster, with one exception, which is the band out of Nashville, Blank Range. I can explain that later. Um, but we don't have necessarily like a dedicated assistant or anything like that. The way we set up the structure within our office is that we have day managers who handle the day-to-day. Um, and the reason why I bring that up to answer this question is that the point of the day managers is that they at some point will grow into becoming managers themselves. And that would be the way that we plan on expanding or, or growing the roster. At some point, we can't have 20 or 30 bands that I'm can claim that I'm overseeing. It's just not possible. It's not enough hours in the day. But uh, the team can be built up that way. And, and in that sense, and, and that's the case with Blank Range, where we brought someone in as a day manager um, who now works with Sharon Jones and the Bat King, Ben Mihai, and he had already been managing Blank Range when he lived in Nashville. So then they came on as his client. Um, but they are on our roster. Um, but we... In terms of when we decide, I mean, there's no, it's not like we're like, okay, this month we're going to go out and find two bands. Uh, a lot of times it's, hey, this came across my desk and this is amazing and we want to work with it and then we will, you know, we will pursue it. Um, we, there are definitely phases and times when we know we're, we're able to take on more and we just had a little bit of a growth spurt. So where we just signed, um, two, in the last year we signed three new bands. One was, again, Blank Range from, from Nashville. Uh, the other was Charlie Bliss out of Brooklyn and Nehi out of Chicago. So right now we're in a holding pattern because we still have a lot of work to do with those groups to get them set. One of them um, just signed a record deal, and two of them still need record deals. So we, you know, we have a work cut out for us. And we, as a smaller company, um, we're not looking at like quantity. It is definitely quality, and therefore what we have to, you know, we have to provide. And so the first priority is to make sure that those groups are set up. Make sure that our you know, our existing clients are happy and, and that they're, everything's working well. And then if we see that we have the capacity, we'll, we'll bring on someone new. Do you build your company the way – let me go back a sec because I, when I worked with Polygram – records and then after that it was universal bought polygram when they were acquiring companies they were doing it looking at their business sort of like a mutual fund in that they bought motown and then they bought uh universal bought them then their interscope came into the picture and they're thinking if one label is cold we have another label that will be able to pick up the slack for all the others until the other labels come back and and basically it's it's sort of a hedge against against uh, failure Do, is that a way sort of that you build a roster of talent as a manager you need to rather than put all your eggs in one basket you spread it out a little bit so that if a couple aren't hitting right now or bringing in any revenue because they're in between projects you have a couple others who are out on the road and, and bringing in some revenue is that sort of a way you think about it I mean, we haven't thought not, not, we didn't think about it the way when we were setting up the company I mean um, now, in a way, uh, we talk about it, but we, it, it, it's not really possible to think about it because so many things are unpredictable. Um, you know, there's there's no there's no set. Like for example, I had recently I had a band that we were talking to ask me, "Hey, can you uh, submit a business plan in writing?" 
And I said, well, how about if I meet with you instead and you can ask me all the questions you want? The reason why that's my take, uh, you know, I'm sort of tackling that is that anything I put in writing, I mean, the, the, the artist's career is such a dynamic, ever-changing, unpredictable thing that there's nothing, you, you can't say like, okay, I'm going to buy these supplies, I'm going to build this wall and put this roof on it, and now I have a house. It's just, there's too many variables. So equally, it's hard to plan that way. And we, right now, are facing that to a certain extent where we have uh, Sharon Jones and the King on off-cycle. Peter Kinney is wrapping up a year. They'll be on off-cycle. They have a few dates here and there. And St. Vincent finished up a year, uh, two years of touring behind her record and is now in the process of making her next record. And we actually don't have necessarily, um, you know, they're actually all sort of, unfortunately, they are all timed on the same cycle, and we need to sort of maybe, you know, get that, shape that up a bit. But, you know, that's where we'll now spend focus, we'll focus our attention on some of the other bands while while they get their records done. But I, it's not, we, we haven't planned it that way. I mean, that seems like it would be almost a perfect scenario if you could do that, where, you know, you had a sort of a rotating uh, cycle of releases happening, you know, every year. Yeah, it's interesting, because... Um the product that you're you're dealing with is is the product of human beings, and uh, we have a friend Paul Sinclair of Atlantic Records, who we've had on the show a lot, and who uh, has come to the school quite a bit, and he's really into this. How it's different, how record companies and managers, you know, what you're dealing with is the output of human beings as opposed to making soap, you know, or some, you know, you're Procter and Gamble and you and you're releasing a new mouthwash, that kind of thing, which is not dependent upon people as much as just your marketing plan and when you decide to put it out. So it, the word dynamic, I think, that you used made a lot of sense there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I think, I mean, right now, like looking at this year, one could say, like, sure, we have the capacity to take on two other big clients. I mean, if I were to sort of put big and small or, you know, if you were to grade them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can't just suddenly find one of those. They don't just, you know, keep going and buy one. I mean, they don't... They're either already, you know, with a manager. They're 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 established. You know, it, it's it's a um, it's it's hard to set it up in the way you, you mentioned with the, that mutual fund analogy. I think that's an ideal situation, and I think that comes from having you know, diversity. I mean, diversifying is certainly something you want to do, and that comes with growing. And you know, we do it. We have nine bands on the roster now. I would say, you know, three of those bands are sort of moderately active. Three of the bands are. I would, you know, put under the baby band category that are starting, but are very busy and working extremely hard, um, constantly touring, constantly writing. And then we have the three sort of major clients that are, you know, who work sometimes in, in more in spurts. So we somehow sort of fit a schedule around that. Right, okay. We're going to have our <coughs> a student co-host, Bob, Bobby Mahoney, is going to read... Uh, a tweet for you from one of our listeners. Hey, Alex, this question is from Joelle, and uh, she wants to know, uh, did you always know you wanted to manage artists, or were you interested in other aspects in the industry at first? Uh, no, I, I had no idea. Uh, I didn't even know this job really existed other than from Spinal Tap and maybe watching Song Remains the Same. <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, I was a... Uh, political science history major in college, and then I got my graduate degree in cello performance, and I was a classical musician uh, until around the age of 30. And then I was roommates with a guy in a band, and he said, hey, we need a manager. 
and uh, I sort of took a gamble and said, sure, I'll, I'll do it. And then that was with Antibalus. And uh, um, from there, it just sort of grew, and I, I liked it. Otherwise, I, think I wouldn't have been doing it. There wasn't any way. I, I didn't plan on it at all. I, I didn't work at a label before. I didn't work as an intern at a management company. I basically had a few friends who give me <clears throat> the Passman book, and I read through it, sort of, and uh, sort of went from there. I definitely... I, I don't definitely recommend how I did it because it was definitely learn, you know, learn on the go. Yeah, absolutely. We're there. We have um, twenty, you know, twenty some odd minutes left, and there are two big topics that I want to talk about with you. Uh, one, because you and I spoke on the phone yesterday. One is three sixty deals, and another has to do with Spotify. We're going to read another tweet for you, and then kind of get into the Spotify discussion. Okay, I'm not sure who this person is, but uh, would you encourage any of your artists to hold back releasing a new album on Spotify the same time it's available in stores? Sort of how, like, the Adele, you know, outlook on things. Um, <clears throat> it's an interesting question, and it's one that when the Adele thing blew up, definitely was something that we discussed within our office. I mean, I do think that the it's very clear that the future of music consumption is going to be via streaming. So, yeah. um, I, I guess, you know, David, this could, this could segue into the Spotify conversation. Uh, but what, I'll try to keep my answer just about this. I mean, at this rate, I think, you know, artists like Adele and Coldplay and Taylor Swift have a luxury of a enormous fan base. Um, and so they can afford to do that. And I do think that, you know, if a smaller band does that, you know, there's definitely, there could be, there could be all sorts of other, you know, possible negative effects. And that's, I think some are unknown. I, I just don't think it would make that much of a difference. Um, I, my big question is, what do we think, how many records do we think Adele would have sold if she was streaming? You know, I mean, would it have just been a, a million or 500,000 or would it have been two and a half million anyway? Because her fan base is a fan base that buys music, who are maybe slightly older. Um, that's the big question. But I think for everyone else, you can't necessarily assume that. You don't know what, what the effect could be. So right now, there's no one that I work with that I would recommend not putting it on the streaming sites right away. Especially for for your bands, and maybe it's also a function of, of the audience of your bands, but you have some really good artists but they're, they're niche artists, you know, they, they have audiences and they have followings. They're not the mass artists of an Adele or a Taylor Swift. You know, Sleater Kinney hadn't done anything in 10 years until this most recent album. And, um, you know, St. Vincent is growing, but they, they're in a smaller marketplace, so to speak. And I, th I think you're right, the whole point of if they windowed, which is sort of what Coldplay is doing, putting it out, on paid services before coming out a week later on uh, free freemium services like Spotify. Uh, I don't know, yeah, how effective that would be. And then if somebody like Bobby Mahoney, our student co-host, who's an artist, if he did that, basically nobody would know because nobody would care because yeah. he has no budget to let anybody know that his record's out anyway on a mass scale. So I don't know how effective that would be from that perspective. <laughs> Right. No, it's true. Yeah, I mean, that's what people have asked me. Like, I play with a lot of you know local you know DIY bands, 
and like half of them don't even pay to like you have to go through the aggregators to get your stuff on Spotify at at our level, and a lot of them won't even do that, and I think they're shooting themselves in the foot because you know it's another place where people could discover you somehow. So for a lot of bands, it might not be a smart thing to not be on the streaming services unless you're the Adele or the Taylor Swift that can you know whose fans are going to go out and buy the CD you know three times regardless. So right, I mean, and, and I'll give you in my example with you know the last St. Vincent album. Uh, you know, she outsold her previous record despite the streaming. So, you know, and, and she, she, I think, I believe, like in, in the UK, she tripled her business or even more so, uh, in terms of record sales. So, so there's a question of like, you know, that goes back to that whole point. Like, yeah, the, the artists who are, who are like household names can maybe do that. And again, I think a lot of them also, it's, it, yeah, I mean, I would assume that most of the fans are either young and their parents are buying the record. For their kids, you know, I, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't really have all the demographics down, but I, I do think that those artists who do that are, they are at a different level. And I think that when the decisions are being made, there's a whole lot of data that they're looking at. I don't think uh, Excel and Sony just said, no, we're going to completely disregard uh, freemium in this instance. I'm sure they were looking at lots of scenarios and they were playing with numbers and and doing that question you had which i think a lot of us had if she had been out on spotify how would that affected sales and i guess the overall number they're looking at is overall revenue between release date and say christmas which is going to drive the most revenue and i guess their decision was let's go all cd you know all physical and, and digital download all paid and that's what they if you take the Adele example, I mean, she sold more records than anyone ever has in a two-week span ever, pre-download, pre pre-premium. So, so how does that, I mean, uh, sorry, pre-streaming. Uh, so how does that even, how does that factor in? I mean, I don't think that because she wasn't streaming, suddenly more people bought records than they did in the 90s. Like, that just shows you the, the magnitude of, of her power, you know, or her, her reach. I mean, it's one thing if she had sold, let's say her last record had sold a million in the first week, and now she didn't stream and she sold one and a half million. It's like, okay, well, her not streaming maybe had made a difference versus last time. I mean, she just, like, blew the record books out of the water. So, it's, I, again, I think those are, it's hard to in any way use that example and, and, and use it as a formula for anyone else. Makes sense, yeah. It's real apples to oranges because of who she is. Versus, you can't compare Adele to St. Vincent, for example. Example in that case. Yeah, I think it's apples and like she's uh, uh, potatoes. You know, no, I was going to say like something much bigger, the moon. <laughs> With the apple being St. Vincent and the moon being Adele. Well, I just, yeah, I mean, just in the sense of, of you know, it, yes. Or, or any, I've been playing the same Vincent, if any, any indie artist, any, any other artist, I mean, I just think there's, there's very few in her. In her right. Time. So in, in terms of revenue for your artists, I know uh, Aaron Van Dyne has been on, and he's the business manager for, for some of your artists, and he is saying that the biggest revenue stream is live. Is that what you're seeing with, with the type of acts that you have is, is really the biggest revenue stream from uh, the live business? It's consistent and the hardest to get. I mean, in terms of the hours you have to put in. But, yeah, it is the most consistent um, income. I mean, our, certainly our artists on our roster are generally live show driven. Um, you know, and then there's, there's always the additional income, but that's so unpredictable. Licensing a song to a commercial, licensing it in a movie, 
you know, being asked to co-write something that might generate money. You know, uh, I mean, I've had bands where, for example, Manhattan Street Band, um, you know, they had, they had a song that's called Make the Road by Walking, uh, sampled by Jay-Z in his song Rock Boys, you know. I mean, it wasn't just sampled, he basically rapped over the song and added some beats to it. And, I mean, you know, that, that was a huge hit. It was on the American Gangster, like, accompanying album, you know, and it's been used in commercials and in all sorts of other places. So that, but you can't, you can't work towards that. Right? You can hope to get that. Uh, similarly, the Budos band, they had a song sampled by the Black Eyed Peas. They sampled two chords, and one of the members of the Budos band is uh, he, he was the primary writer on that song. He was also a, a law, he, he's a graduate of law school. You know, he was able to clear a lot of his law school debt from that sample. But that, that's again, those are you, you can't writing a song. You can't say, well, this song's going to generate this much money. What you can do is say, we'll go on tour, we'll sell hopefully this many tickets, sell this much merch, and we can kind of plan around that. You know, it's, it's a, so the, definitely the live, the live uh, uh, touring business is the, is the major market for the people we work with. How much when you're, when you're dealing with artists is, and I'm sure it's case by case, is you saying this is what you should do, you guys, you have to listen to me, this is what you should do, and how much of it is really listening to them and them saying this is what we want to do and we think is right. Um, how do you resolve the difference when you're thinking maybe more long-term and they're thinking more right now? How do you deal with, situa- with personal situations like that when you have little disagreements and that may turn out to be slightly bigger disagreements? And a lot of it comes from the people we decide to work with, and, and that's something I left out maybe before. I wouldn't really touch upon how we choose our artists. I mean, a lot of it comes that we spend, you know, we... We won't necessarily pick up an artist because they suddenly have three million, uh, you know, uh, um, streams on Spotify. You know, we're not necessarily scouring pitchforks to be like, oh, what's the the, the hot new thing? We will, let's chase after that. Uh, with Charlie Bliss, for example, I met, the, I saw them for the first time last September, so two Septembers ago. Um, I went to probably six shows. I met with them three times, uh, and then finally brought my partner in to meet with them in April. So wherever that was, seven months later, um, after that three-hour dinner, he was convinced that they were the right people to work with because they were smart, they were ambitious, and and you need to know that going into it. That doesn't mean there won't be disagreements. There's always disagreements, uh, but in general, we map out a very you know constructive conversation. We we, we give them the pros and cons, and we say. Here's, you know, here's our recommendation, but ultimately we work for them. Ultimately they make the final decision. Unless we think they're going to do something that will truly cause them bodily harm or would really just torpedo their career and to, to, to non-repair, we've never been in a situation where we've had to say, like, you can't do this. Because then they'll just, you know, at some point they'll be like, well, that's what we want to do. So either, you know, you follow suit or we'll find someone else who will. Okay. And to follow up with that, Bobby has a, uh, a tweet to ask you. From Tom Riccoboni, uh, what are some of the challenges when dealing with multiple musicians in a band? <laughs> well, for a while, um, that was sort of my expertise. So Antibalas had 12 members. The Budos Manton toured with 10. Sharon Jones and Dak Kings toured with 11. It was musicians, no crew. Um, so... You know, there's just a lot of personalities. And in most of the cases, 
even when there were that many, um, there were often a few who had leadership roles, so you could deal with them. But in the cases of Antibalas and Sharon Jones and Zapkin, those are equally owned you know, entities among the among the guys, uh, among the, all the members. And, and so you, you can't, there's not just uh, one opinion. So you have to sort of respect all of them. And, and usually it's, it's pretty good. I mean, the challenge is on the business side is just the, the cost. Um, you know, it, it's a, uh, you know, a band, for example, an offer for a band of four uh, won't cut it, you know, to a festival. Let's take a festival like it could be a major festival like Bonnaroo and these things. They'll give, you know, what's a respectable offer for the group, but they don't really care if the group has two people or 20 people. You know, they're, they're basing it on sort of where you fit in the music, music world at large. And so, you know, it's really just a matter of the cost surrounding having big groups like that. Interesting. Oh, you have a question, Bobby? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you don't mind. Um, so, when you're, I know everything is different from, you know, band to band and artist to artist, but what, you know, typically, how do you work out, um, you know, arrangement for, like, how do you, you know, essentially make money? You know, what, how do you work that out? I mean, obviously, generally, not in a, you know, specific basis, obviously, but... Do you mean the group or us as a management for company? For you as the management company, like, if, you, if you're signing a band... You know how do you go about, how do you go about that? So, yeah. <clears throat> is it more you're asking how the, the structure of how we how we commission, or just that how, in, in decision making on the band, like how does that factor? Well, in? well, either one. I mean, I was talking more about the commission side, but if you want to talk about like how a band, well, I mean, yeah. we generally commission off of the income that's brought in, and, and really all the income that comes in. But, you know, there are exceptions made in each deal. There's different arrangements. Um, they're generally structured the same way. But you make exceptions. And if you know, you know, sometimes, I mean, some of the groups, it can take a long time before we actually see money. That's, that's another reason why we're very careful. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's not an immediate um, income stream. It's not like we're billing by the hour and these, these groups have, you know, the means to pay that. We're taking a risk with them. We're really partnering with them. It's a relationship unlike really any other, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, the agents, they will book the gigs and they get their usual 10% off the top, but it's sort of like they can come and go. I mean, we, we have, you know, we're, we're dealing with so many other, you know, issues and, 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 you know, uh, things that we need to take care of, and we sort of live or die by the success of the, of the artist. Okay, yeah, very cool. Yeah, that's it's how I I like that. <laughs> it's cool. Are the, are the contracts that you see when you're doing a deal with an artist and with a label, are the contracts that you're seeing still books, you know, still, you know, 30, 40, 50 pages, or over the last maybe year or two, have you seen any change in contracts? Maybe they're a little bit more... Um, uh, more succinct, I guess, a little streamlined? I mean, ours is, the one that we have is fairly simple. I mean, there, no, there, I, I never came across a 30 or 40 page contract, but I'm sure they existed and I'm sure they do exist. Um, again, I mean, it depends on how complicated the deal is. And if I'm, I'm guessing if you do have a 360 deal, it might be a slightly longer contract. There's more, more ground to cover. But um, I think in general, everyone, you know, again, there's, a lot of competition out there, um, so you can't you can't hold an artist to something that's going to be so oppressive, like a forty-page you know novel. 
going um going on that um how do you typically discover bands and how do if like how do you a band come come across to your desk and then how do you go from there to being you know to be impressed with them i mean a lot of it is from the relationships that have developed over the years um now my partner um has another business in the music uh world where he he owns a uh the billions corporation which is a you know one of the largest indie booking agents and there you know i think there's something like 14 agents there and they so he has a little bit of an a and r staff right within his company and similarly we have our day managers and they also um are they're always you know, they're out they're younger they're listening to bands they're checking stuff online and they are um handling things like uh listening to bands oh so sorry. So um, you know, <clears throat> but a lot of times, uh, like uh, we work, you know, we have loyal, you know, friends, people, other, uh, you know, that's a publicist or an attorney uh, who approach us and say, hey, you know, we're working with this artist and um, they're looking for management. Would you consider it? Okay. So it comes from recommendations a lot of times as well. Cool. Okay. Uh, we we talked earlier. I mean, just not too long ago, you brought up the term three sixty deal. And when you and I spoke on the phone last night, uh, talking about today, we, we decided we would have a little conversation about the 360 deal because you definitely have your opinion about them. And we've had uh, people from the artist side, I'm sorry, people from the uh, label side on who's talked about them, most specifically Joe Riccatelli recently, who's the GM of RCA Records. I don't know if you ever got a chance to listen to our interview with him when we got to that, but from your perspective... Are those the deals that are offered to you pretty much exclusively? And how do you deal with those? And what are your feelings about them? And how do you deal? You know, how do you deal with them? So, really, no one we've worked with has been confronted with a three hundred and sixty deal. Um, so, um, to be honest, I've never really even seen what one looks like. <laughs> but I do know what they are. I mean. I think three hundred and sixty deals. You know, I think it depends a lot on the type of artist, the situation they're in, the kind of music they make, and who the label is. Obviously, you know, there are a lot of factors that can play into where it could maybe make sense for someone because they will be taking care of. You know, how much of an advance are they getting? You know, can that be offset with with a label taking a little piece? of, you know, all the different income streams. And that's the other question. I think there's this impression that a 360 deal means the label taking everything, right? 360, the circle. It's not so much that. I think similar to a manager, they're just taking a, a, a piece of each uh, thing. And for that, they're, they're, they should be providing services. You know, like whether it's if they're going to take a piece of the merchandise, more than they should be managing and, and handling the, the merchandising. Um, so... Well, well, you know what I find interesting is um, the artists who you're dealing with. Um, I know uh, uh, St. Vincent, Vincent is on Republic Records, correct? Well, it, initially it was, well, it, it's an imprint. Well, not even an imprint. She's actually on a label called Loma Vista Recordings, which uh, is owned uh, by Tom Wally, who used to be the president of um, Warner Brothers, mm -hmm. so the head at Interscope. Um, he put together a, a, a label, and he put together a, a very smart 
but small group of people to work with him. So he needed someone to do not just the distribution, but handle some of the marketing, and some of the other bigger things that, you know, it takes a real label staff to do. So he had partnered with Republic. Um, that is actually no longer the case, and now it's Concord. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. <clears throat> yeah, and that happened, uh, that happened over a year ago. Um, that, uh, that, that change happened. It happened last two summers ago. It was pretty early in our, in our, uh, world with that. But we, uh, so initially the contract was a little bit, uh, the contract was up and maybe was a bit more on the major label side, but we were able, you know, everything's negotiable. So she by no means is under any kind of 360 deal. Interesting. Okay. So. And Sleater Kin- Kinney is on Sub Pop, correct? Correct. And yeah. sub and sub pop, which is a an indie, you know, indie famous, but indie label nonetheless. They aren't putting out uh, three sixty, obviously, because you're not doing one. But I'm I'm surprised that the well, an indie label like the, that aren't doing that. They're not, and I to be honest, I, mean, I think a lot of them. That would take you know a label like sub pop. I'm not saying they don't. They might for some of the, the new bands they're working with. You know, we didn't find a new deal with them, right? So they, their sub-pop deal dated back to 2004 or five, um, which was when they put out the woods. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I mean, it's very possible for me to use. I think, again, it, it's always dependent on the artist, right? It's, you know, who, who the label's dealing with and who the label is. So I'm, I'm not sure if uh, a label has just a single template for their contract. I'm sure they have sort of different ones for different artists. Okay, and let me throw one more at you. I find this very interesting. Uh, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings are on um, uh, Dap Tones Records, right. which is owned by a couple, one or two, two of the guys in the band, right? Correct. And can you, what can you tell us about the structure just of that deal? It just sounds interesting that some guys in the band actually own the label that the band records for. Um, right. Is that a typical well, a, deal, like all the like with your other artists? No, that's a, well. The deal is is very much a standard deal. Mm-hmm. It's a very unique relationship it is like that. Um, it started from like Gabe and Neil started the label really before Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings as a band was in existence. And um, the ba- sorry, I shouldn't say in existence as a, as a as a as an entity, a corporate entity. Let's say. I mean, the the band started out as being kind of Gabe's band, and then slowly transformed formed into being, you know, he made it a very democratic thing. So he, he has the same share in the band as everyone else does, except for Sharon, who has slightly more. But um, he and Neil Sugarman run the label, but it's not a 360. They, they have a whole office of people, you know, I and mean, then they run a separate company that they have to, you know, take care of. Um, it's unique in that you know, I mean, there are artists only. I mean, it, it's different. I think a lot of times when an artist owns a label, it's basically well, they have an imprint for their project, and there's someone else is doing all the work. At that point, they are a running label that has a recording studio. They they make the records, they design the records, they they're dealing with all the headaches. I mean, Neil's in the office, and he's the one who's fielding the licensing calls. You know, Gabe's making the records. You know, and also he's at all the meetings and he makes decisions ultimately. So it's an interesting uh, thing. But in terms of contract or anything, there's, it's actually a very standard uh, deal, and it's very favorable to the artist. 
And who does distribution for Daptones? Is that through like a Red um, or ADA or anything? It's, it's, no, it's also through an indie uh, called Red Eye, based in uh, North uh, Carolina. Okay. It's also uh, they, they have a label Yep Rock. Um, they uh, they've been with them for some time now. Okay, do, do, which brings up because you you mentioned so it's a label like Red Eye. Um, these bands that you have aren't exactly Z100 friendly. How much does radio, uh, terrestrial radio, uh, mean to you with the artists that you have? Because I'm sure, I mean, there are obviously niche stations like in, in this market, the New York market, WFUV will play St. Vincent or they'll play even Sharon Jones or some Sleater Kinney. But uh, I guess you would call them adult alternative and those stations historically I don't think have sold a whole lot of records but maybe they sell tickets. But So how does radio work in for you and the artists? Uh, to answer your question, well, radio still plays a big role. I mean, you're right. None of the groups that we work with are radio-driven, uh, but we do depend on those stations, the KCRWs in Santa Monica, uh, the KEXP in Seattle, KUT in, uh, in Austin. Today, we, Sharon Jones at FQ, we did what we did at World Cafe taping at, um, XPN in Philadelphia. So the NPR affiliates are still very important for us. Um, they they do drive sales, both end of records. I mean, especially with both, you know, the NPR uh, shows do, like World Cafe um, and uh, Morning Becomes a Classic and things like that. So in Vincent, uh, we definitely are hoping we'll make a move, you know, in a, in a, a broader commercial radio um, world on her next record. And, uh, you know, there's, there's always, um, right now, no, we're, we're mo- it's mostly non-com and indie. But that's, you know, w, uh, like, uh, for example, XRT in Chicago will play some St. Vincent as well as Peter Kinney and Sharon Jones. So, we, you know, there are commercial stations, especially in smaller markets. You know, there's commercial stations that are outside of the major markets that aren't C100, and they do play some of our artists. Okay, and and a company like Red Eye has a promotion staff that's that's pitching it, pitching their their music um, to these stations. We usually those are a lot of times it's Red Eye. The so Red Eye's a distri- distributor. Uh, Daptone hires an outside radio person. Okay, they an independent person, right? Okay, right. So like Concord has in house radio. Hmm, okay, all right. We have like uh, say three four minutes left, so we're gonna um, have Bobby read a few tweets off to you, and we'll kind of do like a rapid fire question thing. Is that okay? That's fine. All right. By the way, we are listening to Alex Cadvin, um, who is uh, the manager of all the bands we've been talking about. We're on Music Biz 101 and more. Bobby Mahoney, give us the tweet. This is from Mel. What's the most difficult thing you've had to do as a manager and why? Uh, firing people. So it's, uh, you know, firing crew. It's never pleasant. Uh, <clears throat> I've had to go down and fire entire teams off of tours. Oh, wow. Um, and dealing with when someone's being maybe kicked out of a band, firing a musician from a group, or letting them know they're not being rehired. That's never easy. Yeah, I, could, I would imagine. Uh, next we have from Taylor. What suggestions would you give to someone who's just starting out in the music artist, in the, sorry, artist management field? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? What suggestions would you give to someone who is just starting out in the artist management field? I mean, if they were just starting out, I definitely think they should get a job with an artist manager where they can um, uh, gain experience. 
yeah. and and we have the opportunity to work with artists and go do a you know work a record campaign. I also think it's good to do a different aspect of the job, like go out on tour with the band. I mean, a lot of a lot of people in this business don't do that, and then they wind up not being able to uh, really understand what's going on. Yeah, the life on the road's a whole another <laughs> whole another ball game. A lot of times. I mean, really, the more diversified experiences you can get. You know, it doesn't mean necessarily a long commitment, but I mean, really, if you could, everything from selling merchandise to, you know, driving the van, I mean, I've literally done all those things. Yeah. So that when I now talk to one of my employees or I talk to a crew member for a van, I can kind of, you know, I might not be completely up to date with everything, but I can speak with confidence because I've done it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this one, this next one's from Justin. How far can a band usually make it by managing themselves? In your experience, like how far can they get by themselves before they have to get an artist manager? Um, when I have bands come to me and asking if I would manage them, or sometimes it's like someone who's already in a band I manage and they have a side project, um, and they say, oh, would you manage it? What I say to them is like, well, what, what is it that you can't handle? And I think what, one of the, the myths is that, well, if you get a manager, suddenly now you're going to have success and you're going to be able to do everything. And that's not the case. I don't think there's, there are very few managers who are miracle workers. So I think what it comes down to is with a band, is like when you've gotten to a point where, like, you know what, like, we, we, there's too much work for us to do, you know, or things are happening where we're, we're getting a lot of phone calls and we don't know how to field them. Like, we need someone to manage the situation. That's when you sort of know. I think there's a point where you know. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of groups could, can take on a manager too soon, and then nothing can happen because they're not, you know, maybe they're no longer now self-driven. And again, I think the same advice I gave to a uh, uh, an aspiring manager, I would give to a musician, which is like, go out there and settle a few shows. You know, go out there and learn the business. So that a, you know what you're talking about, and that you know you'll know when things are handled properly or when they're not. Yep. Good point. Absolutely. Final tweet of the night. Final tweet. Here we go. From Cole. Uh, what is the most important trait to have when being a manager? Um, probably patience and understanding. It's <laughs> a good one. Those are good. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I mean, I mean, I guess the third one I say is organization. But a lot of times uh, you try to depend on your staff and, and coworkers for that. Okay. And uh, I guess my real quick final question, if, if you had you know, 30 seconds to talk to DIY artists and to students of the industry. What do you think is the most important thing that they should, that they should know from your perspective? Not to rush into anything. Uh, I think one of the things I've experienced and, and, and talking to people is there's an impatience and there's this um, idea that things should be happening a lot quicker. And I think uh, you need to sort of have the long, the long view and realize that uh, success doesn't come overnight. Uh, you know, you know we're going to talk about the larger artists, but the artists we've worked with, Peter Kinney, you know, they, they toured like mad, you know, like crazy, and they they work really hard to get where they are. I mean, St. Vincent as well. I mean, you know, her first record came out seven years ago, you know, and she still keeps on growing. And Sharon Jones and Dap Kings and Antibalas, they've all been on, you know, they've been touring for years, uh, and and working hard, and uh, I think just that's the main thing: is just be patient and and work hard and keep writing songs. Well, that's great. We want to thank you, Alex. Thanks thank you so you. much for taking time out and uh, sitting with us and uh, and being on Music Biz One Hundred and One. And we're going to clap for you now. Let's clap for Alex. Woo!
This is really great. I uh, really do appreciate it, Alex. And um, we'll be in touch. And thank you one more time for being on Music Biz 101 and more. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. We will be right back. We're going to uh, go to a couple things. And then when we come back, we will do a quick recap of the show. Keep listening. Music Biz 101 and more. Brave New Radio 88.7 WPSC on the campus of William Patterson, the university. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Wednesday at 8 p.m. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. This is the music of St. Vincent. We've been listening to Music Biz 101 and more in a great interview with Alex Cadvin, who is the manager of St. Vincent. You can keep that going if you want through the whole thing. You cool with that? Okay, I'm, when I say that, I'm speaking with... But Jess Frank, who is one of our two producers here today. Bobby Mahoney, what did you think of our interview with Alex Cadvin? You're an artist, fledgling artist. Yeah, absolutely. I loved it. I thought it was great, especially the last bit about patience, which is something I need to learn. As he's right, you have that temptation to be like, you know, why are you know, we're working hard, you know, where where are we at? You know, I don't know exactly where we stand and things aren't happening, but you know, he's right, you gotta stick with it and you know, aim for longevity and you know, keep working hard. I think a lot of it is uh, when I was doing my own business uh, before I came here at William Patterson, a lot of it was you, you want it immediately and it's not going to happen, but you still want it to happen today. Yeah. And I think the thing to keep you going really is besides the patience is to every day do something, you know, keep moving forward no matter what every day. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from a, sing- a song where you might know him, Garland Jeffries. Yes. I did a show with him when I was like 16 and he said to me, he said, every day do something that furthers you. Whether it's just like you know, write a song, you know, you know, learn a scale, you know, go tell someone about your show, book a show, you know, whatever it is, you know, do something, at least one thing every day mm-hmm. to further yourself. Even if you don't have a super productive day, just to do one little thing helps, you know, in every little bit. Yeah, know. I agree. And as an artist, there are so many things you can do. Oh, absolutely, um, it can really be just. I think I'll listen to a Garland Jeffries album or, or an album of music that I never heard in my life before. I yeah, mean, there's, there's a lot you can do uh, so we're winding down we're down to 10 seconds the Jess Frank Bianca Russo alright so Bobby Mahoney thank you very much big thanks to Bobby Mahoney for happy being to be here, here of course. It, it was great yes. to hear you Bobby yes. it was great to have Bianca Russo sitting by and always being there for us knowing that she's there is all that matters to me yeah. that's a song lyric we want to thank Jess Frank for being uh, at the board today thank you Woo! Jess Frank for being at the board today we want to thank in absentia Dr. Esteban Marconi, who would have been here had it not been for a rock, a bicycle, and a bum left wrist. So, Dr. Stephen Marconi, we're here for you. We are always here for you, always, no matter what, and I'm not going to cry. And I want to thank you. My name is Professor David Kirkfield. We will be back next week. 
final show of the year 2015. We'll, it, we'll be talking about NAM 2016. We'll do a year in review for the year, which is redundant, but we look forward to having you, and we want you to listen to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher Radio. Go to our website, musicbiz11wp.com, and as always, we say to you, not hello, but we say, adios!